Hey, hey, welcome to The Eva Show. I'm Eva Miller. As a domestic violence survivor turned life and wellness coach, I'm on a mission to help you acknowledge your worth, reclaim your power, and find your voice in this noisy world. If you're feeling stuck and looking for help, or you just want to be reminded that it's a-okay to be your unique self in a conforming world, you're in the right place. You ready to ditch expectations other people have put on you and rise to become who you've always wanted to be? Let's go. Have you ever listened to someone as they shared their story and their honesty and willingness to be vulnerable about their heartbreak or feelings of loss, even their confusion, just totally drew you to them? Today's episode is going to be like that. Normally, my episodes will be uh, around 30-ish minutes long, but there was so much to unpack in Yvette's story that leaving stuff out to shorten it would have been a disservice to you, and I didn't want you to miss anything. But keeping it all in meant that it had to be split into two parts, both of which are long and very worth your time. Episode 5, airing next week, will have the second part of this interview. Let's dive in. Today on the show, I am interviewing my friend, Yvette. She's a former client, and we have been friends for many, many years. She's here today to share some of her journey with us, because while my situation has some details that were different than hers, there are a lot of commonalities, and we had to work through some very similar things to get us into a better place. So she's going to share some things with us today, but before we get started... Yvette, will you please tell us who you are and a little bit about you? I am Yvette, and I am a mom of four. Uh, I was a stay-at-home mom for about 26 years, and then um, now I am back working in my field that I got a degree for many, many moons ago. Um, I just started a job doing that fairly recently, so that's been a really great um, part of my journey as well. Awesome. Thank you for being on the show. I I know that some of this might be, you might feel a little awkward, but you and I have discussed that, you know, like this was actually your idea. Yeah, that's definitely true. I remember having that conversation with you. Yep. I want to help women and um, I need to share this part because it was so, you know, important for me. Yeah. I remember going through some of the really hardest parts of the first days of like, um, like really that concrete idea of divorce and that sort of thing. And just feeling like there was nothing out there. There were not the resources that I needed for the, for the situation that I was in really. Um, and so I think going through that, I would just kept thinking to myself, like if there had been a manual or something like this, sort of for, for somebody to re- like be able to discuss this in real time, that would have been really helpful for me, just like a friend to kind of be able to say those things. Yes. Yes. Things weren't great for a long time and they just deteriorated slowly Mm -hmm. like things do. Um, There wasn't, there wasn't like one thing that started at a certain time. And, you know, for me in my marriage, I knew that my relationship was no longer salvageable the day that he announced to me, he was not going back to the marriage counselor. And we'd only been just less than a handful of times. And he just announced, I'm not going back. And I was like, "Uh, okay, can you tell me why? And his response was, well, I already knew that it was wrong. I already know it's wrong to hit you out of anger. So I'm not gonna do that anymore. 
but you're my property and I own you. And so when you act like a child, I'm going to turn you over my knee and spank you like one. And I was like, oh, and I knew then that there was no way to ever go back because I didn't know how long I would that we would have to live together and him get angry and not hit me or verbally abuse me before I'd actually be able to believe and trust that he wouldn't. But the truth is the marriage wasn't salvageable the first time he put hands on me. It's just that in my family, a certain amount of abuse was normalized and I just wasn't strong enough then to stand up for myself. And so that's my part, but I want to ask you to share some of yours, like, did it end abruptly or was there like, did you have inklings that the marriage was circling the drain? That kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess for me, it's a bit of, um, I guess I should start out by saying like, I got married really young as lots of people do. Um, so I think I was like, I was 18. Um, when I got married, I was in college and I met him. Um, it was a very quick courtship. Like we dated maybe a month and a half, two months. And then he was going off to Europe um, for the military. And so he asked me to marry him and I was young and swept off my feet and thought, this is what it is. Like some, somebody loves me enough that they want to marry me as they're heading off to a different country. Like I should definitely say yes, because what if there were so many, there was a lot of underlying layers. Like what if nobody else says this to me ever? Like he must, he's older. He must know what love is. He's more experienced in life. Like, so he knows how to take care of me, protect me, all of these things that like you're, you have this ideal of what you're supposed to have in a marriage. Um, and so I said, yes. And I think even in that moment, there were already underlying feelings of, but is this really what I'm supposed to do? Like I'm in college right now and I'm very close to getting my degree. And I was a really excellent student. I had a scholarship to the college that I was going to, and like, I wasn't going to be in debt. And I'd always really planned on this idea of getting my degree and going on to get a PhD and all these things. And now I was shifting those things for ideals that I thought like society tells you like, oh no, but, but now I found love and now I'm supposed to be loved. And I, you know, somebody to care for me and I want to care for them. And my parents had married really young and they had a thriving relationship. They were married for a really long time. So again, I just, that was the norm for me. So I pushed the hesitation to the side and thought, don't be selfish. Like what you really, really want is like love and this person. So sacrifice and, you know, follow that dream. And so I said, yes. And we got married um, and I went overseas. And again, even that was when I couldn't tell my parents right away and they didn't really approve because obviously like I just told them, Hey, I'm getting married to this guy that they really didn't know. That should have also been a little bit of a red flag because I'm very close to my parents. And so the fact that I couldn't <laughs> tell them and that they weren't supportive and I was young as people are, but I just thought like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go off and you know, you'll see how great this is going to be for me. And I, I know, I know, yeah, I know love, you don't know. Um, and so again, I kind of went off on this, I'm going to take this path and, and live this dream but that should have been a very, um, a very big sign as well that they, they had my best interest. They'd known me for so many years and they kind of were like, this isn't, you know, we don't know how we feel about this. This isn't really great. Um, and the minute I remember the minute I landed overseas and like really got there, I was, it was the first time I'd ever left the country. Like I'd never really traveled much outside of the state that I was originally grew up in. Um, and now I'm just with this one person and everything shifted from 
fawning all over, you know, falling all over me and being in love to now it's like, oh, okay, so now we're going to do this marriage thing. Like, you know, I love you, but also it was more like, we were just kind of like friends that hung out sometimes too. Like I remember him staying up and playing video games and I would feel really bad because I would go to sleep and say like, isn't like, we, we just got married. Shouldn't we be like going out and doing, you know, dates and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But that ended really, really quickly. Um, so I think even from the beginning, there were already signs that maybe this wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but I didn't ask questions because I didn't know that that was something people should do is kind of like really get to know each other ahead of time, as opposed to we'll figure it out as we go, because if we have love, everything else will work itself out. And then it turned into, if I give enough, if I sacrifice enough, if I love the right way or act the right way or do the right things or cook the right meals. And and if I'm, if I'm the wife, the wife that I'm supposed to be, then, then I earn that love, you know, like that's, that's how it should be. And it's not necessarily anything that somebody said to me. It's not like he said that to me or anybody said to me, it's the thought process in my head was trying to be logical. Oh, if I'm not getting what I need, it must be because I'm not putting out there what I'm supposed to be putting out there. So keep maybe keep the house better or decorate or be, you know, do, do all these things that you see wives and TV moms and all these other kind of things do. Um, so I tried to do those things and it just wasn't working. So from early on, I think we just always kind of had that underlying, it wasn't what we both thought it was going to be. I think he was looking for like a fun friendship kind of marriage, more like what his parents had had, where they kind of each did their own things. And I was looking for something very much united and I'm with that person and that person's my best friend. And people have both of those things and whatever works for you works, but we happen to not be on the same page. And we didn't know that before we got married. So um, we, you know, we ended up having a family because again, I kind of thought like, oh, maybe that's, you know, like I always wanted a family and he was, he really was supportive of that idea as well. So that kind of then just took priority and the marriage just became a marriage. Like you see regular people, like you're doing the things and going through the motions and following all all the things. And then I think once the kids got a little bit older, we really started to address and see the problems again on how different we were and how I didn't feel loved and I didn't feel seen. And maybe he was just feeling overwhelmed and wasn't really able to give me the things, um, that I needed. Um, and then he also felt like he wanted and needed certain things. And I just, I didn't feel like I had anything more too, because I just felt really drained. Like I was trying so hard to put into this marriage and then just not getting a lot back. And so I think one of the other things I definitely remember my parents growing up, they just never, they never used like any kind of negative language toward each other, no matter how upset they got. My dad was just like, we don't, we don't curse at each other. We don't like, that's just that's not something we do. And we don't yell like that in front of it. Like it, that's just not appropriate because at the end of the day, you love this person. This is your spouse. And I remember early on, like he would get frustrated and he would do that. He would like use negative language or derogatory terms. And I would say like, this is not okay with me. When you get upset, can you please not do that? Like, that's the one thing I ask. Can you control your anger enough to not use language like that towards me? And he couldn't do that. Like he would always choose to do it anyways. And he would say like, oh, well, you know, like later on, he would say like, well, I just, I can't control myself in that moment. But as years went on, I thought to myself, that's not true because when you get upset with people at work or you get upset with friends, or I see you get very angry with other people and you're able to hold your tongue, but you choose not to do it with me. You choose to use those words with me and those terms with me and then not apologize, but simply state like, well, it was just that moment. And so I think that for sure stands out as a sign 
early on that like, if that one thing that I was asking for couldn't be respected, it was just a sign of like, we were not going to be able to really get to certain places because he was always going to take the, this is just who I am and I can't control it. And I was on the other end thinking, no, you can, but you just don't have the respect for me to make an effort and then not, you know, not do that. If it makes, if that makes sense. It does. Yes. It's funny as I'm listening to you, some of my own stuff is coming back and I was, I could not help but notice when I first met Steve and when you were first with your ex, we gave away our power. Oh yeah. You, you stopped with your plan. I had had a plan when I met Steve and I gave all of that up. I walked away from things that I had planned, quote unquote, ideas I had, dreams I had, stuff I wanted, just like you with college and you're, you didn't want debt, things like that. And you put that power in someone else's hands. But the irony of you saying, if I do this, if I do that, for me, it was, and for in my situation, Steve would straight up say, well, if you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have gotten angry and had to hit you. So he was putting, he gave his power away to me, blaming me for his lack of emotional regulation, inability to control his own anger. And yet I took on all the power. Suddenly, while I gave my power away initially, somehow I thought everything was, I was responsible for it all. Really? How does that work? Yeah. But that's exactly what I did. And it's what you just described for you too. If yeah. I do enough of this, if I don't do too much that or whatever, then everything will be okay. How do you go from, I don't have any control to, I can fix it all. We women do that and we need to stop. Oh yeah. Okay. So you had some ideas that this is not going as great as you'd hoped. Yeah. It just kept getting worse and then darker. And then there were just a lot of things that happened along the way, as far as like, as the relationship went on, like he was diagnosed with like depression and would go on and off of meds, which would call cause a lot of fluctuations within like um, temperament and anger and things like that. And then before that, like I was diagnosed and treated for breast cancer and that's its own multitude of things as well. Um, And so just a lot of different things were just getting added on to an already, to a situation that already didn't have a really good foundation to begin with. Yes. Yes. So what was your aha moment? Was there a thing, just one thing that you could like point to and be like, this is when we had to call time of death kind of a thing. Like, when did you know it was over? For me, I think when I was diagnosed and treated for breast cancer, my mom and I have talked about this a lot. She's also a breast cancer survivor. Like time slows down for you when you're in treatment, you really are just sitting there. You just don't have the energy to run around and do all the things like you used to, you want to, because we're women and we want to do it ourselves, but you have no choice. You have to take help from others. It's very humbling um, and a great learning experience for sure. If you take something from it, Um, but you kind of, you get a lot of wisdom. Like I definitely, the people I've talked to, like, I feel a lot wiser than my years um, because you sit and really think about what matters and what doesn't, what really matters in life and what doesn't. And so that means coming out of that, I had a very different way of looking at how I wanted to live the rest of my life, however long that was, 
whether it was one year, five years, 10 years, I had been gifted with this time. Not everybody's gifted with that after going through that. And I no longer wanted to spend that time running around trying to fix things that didn't seem like in the long run were going to teach my children how I wanted them to be, make me a stronger person, make me feel like I left something good in this world. I really felt like I wanted to delve more into like what I needed to do for myself, what I cared about, what mattered to me and what didn't matter to me. Um, And so that meant me having a much stronger voice all of a sudden and being able to say, no, I really don't think I want to do X, Y, and Z for the house. Or, you know, I feel like I want to go off and take this time for myself a little bit. I need these hours that I'm going to go over here and do this and not have the kids with me. Or I'm going to not do the laundry right now because what I really want to do is go outside and we're going to blow bubbles for 45 minutes or two hours or whatever. And so there was a shift in what I used to stress out about and then what I no longer wanted to stress out about. And I think that that shift was something that he was not ready for or used to. It was a bit of, it was like obviously a very big change. Um, And so that definitely, I think, was it it let him kind of know that yeah it let him kind of know like things were changing and it for me it definitely was like I I'm not I'm not going to I need I'm going to put myself first again because it's important for me after having gone through what I went through like I need to put myself first and start loving all the things that I love again because I realize that in doing that that's how I really give an example to my kids long-term. Um, I thought beforehand it was, oh, here's this, like, I sacrifice, I sacrifice, I sacrifice. And like, now you guys are going to have this great life. But instead it was more like, no, I, I wouldn't, when I look at it, I don't want my kids to do that. I want my kids to follow their dreams and do, and they're not going to know to do that if they don't see mom putting some boundaries and saying, I love you completely. And I also love myself. And in in doing that and taking time for myself, it allows me to be a better person to love you more. But I can say it a million times and it, people definitely said it to me a million times. And I thought like, that doesn't make any sense. Must be nice. Yeah, sure. But yeah, it was just this light bulb moment from having gone through treatment and just knowing, knowing, like feeling it deep, 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 deep inside. This is not, you don't want to continue this way. What really matters in the end is this time you're spending with your kids and the time you're spending with your friends and the time you're spending just out in the world in nature, taking in the sunshine, like listening to the wind go through the trees, like those moments are going to matter. And so that's where all the priority went is just trying to really pull more energy into myself so that I could then pour a lot better, higher quality energy out into yes. all the people that I love. Yeah. Yes. And amen to all of that. Say yeah. it louder <laughs> for the women sitting in the back. Things happen in our lives that cause us to strip away all the distractions. I I don't know a better way to describe it. I say it's listening under the noise. We get under those distractions. Suddenly all the, the layers of distractions peel off. When that strips away, you are left with your core of what really matters, what you really want. Yes. And especially when something is taken away from you or you think it's taken away from you, when you are ill, like you were, and then you're suddenly like, oh, 
I don't want to spend one more minute on the bull crap I've been doing. I want to focus on the things that really matter the most. So one of those, like you said, finding your voice, being more willing to assert yourself and say what you wanted and what you didn't. And that ended up being a catalyst for driving to the very end, didn't it? Because you were speaking up about something you wanted. Will you tell us about that? A little bit after that had happened, like, um, like where I really started to have a different view on what I wanted to do and like what my priorities were, there was a shift. And so again, I thought, okay, well, maybe this is just a transitional period because, you know, he needs to get used to just the way I'm going to be now, like, uh, and the way I'm going to, the things that I'm going to want out of life. And so we did, we went to marriage counseling. Um, we went to one marriage counselor and went for a while. And then it was kind of this, it seemed like it was going well at the time. And then we'd get home and it would be like, Oh, I didn't, he would say he didn't feel like the marriage counselor really took his side or like, there would be all these like ideas and excuses. And around that time, I really started to kind of feel like I started noticing patterns of where, in my opinion, like he just seemed to sometimes always take the victim side of things. And I started to become a lot more aware of how many times he refused to apologize, would twist it and make it seem like I had to second guess myself. And I didn't really know terms like gaslighting and things like that at the time or anything. Um, I just knew and really started to kind of put a lot of things together. Like, wait a minute, all these other things that I've been thinking maybe that's not necessarily true. I started to like second guess that and say, maybe this is more him. And I started to remember who I really was like before all of that. And like that I am really intelligent. I am really good at making decisions. And so all of these things that I've been told for a really long time, maybe they're not true. Like maybe I need to really reevaluate that because I saw how he was reacting even in a counseling situation to somebody kind of like putting a mirror up. Um, and so it wasn't just me, then it was like, oh, there's another adult here who's also wanting him to do this and he's not doing that. Um, and then other family members or friends would kind of like also try to give him a little bit of guidance or help. Um, and he would kind of not react really well to that as well. He kind of always had like a reason or excuse or something, but he wasn't ready like, and, or maybe he like, that's just not what he wanted to do at the time, but I needed something different. And I started to realize that I needed something different and that maybe, that wasn't going to work. And so we ended up finding a second counselor after a gap in between. And again, the same thing kind of happened. And I remember having then a private um, meeting with that counselor on my own, because it looked like we just weren't going to continue doing that. And that counselor at the time said to one of two things is going to happen, like, because he keeps backing away from like facing a lot of the core things that he needs to face in order for this marriage to, to get better he's either going to hit rock bottom and realize that he wants to face a lot of these things and really work through them so that you guys can have a strong marriage. Or the counselor said, in my opinion, based on what I've seen, like, I think you're going to have to make a decision and probably end up like divorced because again, you can't be the only person putting the work into a marriage if the other person just doesn't want to do it. That kind of sat in the back of my head. And again, we, there was still a little gap there where I, I continue just because again, I'm so like my culture and my background is just one that really felt like you have kids now try your best maybe. And he would say like, well, you know, I have this depression. And then that became like a crutch. Like he kind of used that a lot as the reason he couldn't do things. And so for a while I wanted to be very understanding of that. But then I also knew like, well, I went through a lot emotionally through all of my treatment and I pushed really hard to kind of like, and so I knew that he was trying to get help but then sometimes he would kind of like not want that help either. And so 
it just became really difficult where I couldn't, I couldn't just continue to use that. I needed to also make sure that I was taking care of myself and that I was thriving regardless of whether, you know, what was going on with him as well. So yeah, after the last counselor, we finally were seeing another counselor and it had been the same thing, kind of back and forth. We'd come home, she'd give us assignments. They would be very basic assignments. He wouldn't want to do them. He'd say like, I don't have time or I'm not ready for that or give me another week or, you know, other things. And then I happened to be sitting down to write an email one day. It was like a, maybe a week or so after, um, after our 26th anniversary. And I was writing to one of the school teachers because uh, I needed to talk about one of our children had come out as non-binary and we needed to discuss with the teachers that we wanted them to use very specific pronouns. And so I was writing the email and I thought to myself, okay, even if you and I are not getting along in the best of sorts right now. This is about our kid. So I remember looking over and saying, don't you think you should be sitting next to me while I write this? Because this is very important that we're on the same page so that if the school contacts us, we both know what, how we want to respond, how we want to make sure that we're adamant that this is what we really want done at school to make the transition very comfortable as far as everything is concerned. And he just, just tossed his hands up in the air and said, I'm done. And it was very, I, I was kind of confused at first. I was like, you're, you're done with what? And he's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with the marriage. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I have nothing more to give. And so there was a little bit of panic and also recognition that like, okay, well, I, I don't know what to do. I went into fix it mode. Like what, well, what do, what do we do now? Um, and so I kind of asked him again, like you're, you're, you're done completely. And he was like, yeah, I, I want a divorce. I'm done. And so then I ended up contacting the counselor that we had. Um, we were supposed to have a meeting with her like Friday. She scheduled us that very next day. We went in. She asked him to confirm again how he felt. He was very non-emotional, completely detached, just said, this is what I want. I'm done. I have nothing else. I'm not in love with her anymore because the counselor asked. Um, and so, yeah, she said at that point, OK, well, then I really can't work with you anymore because I'm a marriage counselor. But at that point, she basically transitioned just to, transitioned us into how to tell the kids the plan then to like move forward and what we were going to do from there. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it went at that point. And at first, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was, I went from all the, from the mad to sad to scared, all of those things within probably mm -hmm. a matter of like two or three days um, all at one time, because for me, it was mostly like, this fear of having to tell the kids like and then in my head it was like they're going to have before the day that they knew this was going to happen and after the day they knew this was going to happen and I felt like the rest of their lives was going to be different and negative and just I just had this picture in my head that now they wouldn't have this perfect family idea and again little did I know that like well obviously like perfect family idea wasn't really what they'd already had anyways because you know we hadn't had the most loving of marriages so really what I was doing is kind of just like having to go through the motions of telling them something really, really hard and then showing them how you get through that and moving forward. But yeah, that wasn't easy at the time. That's not, that's still not an easy thing. It's so funny because I think it's the going through the motions yeah. that gets us because oh, yeah. the truth is if it had just been be me, I think it would have been very like, okay, I could have made all the phone calls and told all the people and fine but this was different. This was like, this was these, these, these are my tiny humans. So, right. But it's funny because those tiny humans live with you. So oh, yeah. they were picking up on things. It's oh, not yeah, like this sure. was brand new news no. to them. No. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting to me, the things that, that, that quote unquote trip us up, like 
we, we're going to get stuck on that. But the truth oh, yeah. is like, oh, oh, wait, you mean you knew you knew? things? Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, when we called it when we called the two oldest ones, because I mean, there's a there's a gap between our kids. Um, and so when we called the oldest one because he lives on his own, he had the basically like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I saw this coming a long time ago. Like I really like he wasn't upset. He just more thought like, yeah, like, you know, he didn't feel like his house and his, you know, the way he was brought up was anything like really, really tumultuous, but more so that like he saw it coming and he, he knew it should have been done a long time ago. And then the same thing with our college age student at the time, she was like, I mean, I, I, and there's a part of me that's sad because in general, I know it's going to be difficult, but the other part of her was very logical. And she's like, but I, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. I like, I totally mm-hmm. get that. And they knew, they knew that we were going to counseling and stuff for all those on and off years. So it's not, again, there was that part. And the two youngest ones, I think was the hardest for me because they were still at home. And telling them, um, it was interesting because the one reaction they had was, were they going to be together? They'd seen so many TV shows where like kids, families get split apart. And um, that was their concern. Does this mean we're not going to get to live? And, and right away, I made it, it was like, no, the two of you will always be together. And yes. you'll probably be, you know, I explained how the situation would be. And then they're just, their, their level went straight down back to calm. And then it was like, oh, okay. And then they were like, it was just, they were able to process it. Like, okay, then it is sad, but then I'm okay. Because as long as like the two of us are together and we're with like mom and, they, and then, then, yeah, they, they were, it, it, it was almost like ripping off the bandaid. Yeah. And then like, you know, within two days, we were able to kind of just talk about now it wasn't this taboo. How do I tell them? And what, because those days leading up, I knew I had to tell them, but we hadn't told them. And then it was already done. And then I was just like, wow, all this time, like I waited and was afraid to ever tell them that this might end up a possibility. And they were, they were more resilient about it than I thought. Not that you want your kids to have to be resilient through that, but also in the sense that like, they were, they were still going to be okay. Cause they were still going to be loved by their parents. Yes. Yeah. yes. Most important thing, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit to the actual separation and ending. You found yourself in very hard emotional place mentally. Yes. Talk to us about just what that was like right then. And then I want to talk about how you shifted yourself out of that, what you did, how you identified what you needed to do, what you were going to do, that kind of thing. So we were overseas, um, like when we got separated. And so that meant that all I, I, I'm a fairly introverted person. All of my family lives here at home where I'm, where I was born and raised. So I was in an area basically where I, had maybe one or two acquaintances, but I wouldn't say like close, close friends. I can probably count my close friends on one hand. Um, and they definitely did not live overseas with me. So it was very difficult to have that realization that like, now I'm going through this process of separation, which is leading to divorce. I have the kids in the house with me, two of them, because obviously two of them are, are off on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the kids in the house with me, or maybe it was three. Yeah. I think, I think one was still at the house. We had to like take her back, but so I have the kids in the house with me and, um, and I don't have really friends or resources or outlets. So the normal things that like you would go and do and go lean on a friend or go lean on a family member. I didn't have that, that bubble to kind of like really come in and love on me. Um, so it was, I felt very lost and sad and alone. And I sat in this 
oh, all these years and like, here I am now. And like, I haven't worked in so many years because I stayed home with the kids and how am I going to like afford to do all the things that I need to do and I want to get for them. And now I have to move them from this place that they've known for a while back to where I'm from because, you know, that's where I have family. So we have to transition back over there. And I, that's where right. I can get a good job because I can't get one here in my field and just all these things that were running through my head. And it, it was a lot of different things. And the first thing that basically happened was I just got super depressed, like just super, just like, it was just too much to handle. Like I thought, mm-hmm. how am I going to do this? How, like, I feel like I failed. I feel like I didn't do good enough. All I wanted to do was kind of try to like take care of me so that I could be better for them. And now here I am for wanting something for me. Like, was I selfish? Was it wrong? Like, and so, yeah, it was just really sad. Um, I still felt like I did the right thing by wanting to put myself first, but I felt like, why am I in this situation if all I was trying to do was do something good? And, and so for a while, yeah, it was really, really hard to just do anything besides get up, put on that mom face, show up for the kids, kind of like listen to them and smile and get their lunches ready and get them out the door and get them where they're going. And then they would leave. And it was just like, okay, now I'm just going to like cry and be sad and just, just be mad about all the things. Like why couldn't I have walked away earlier or why, how, how could he do this to me? And we had this whole, like, I gave up all these years and I thought we were going to retire together and like at least have something. And now I have to start all over. And he doesn't because now he has a great career from all the years that I stayed home and watch these, watch the kids. And yeah, I mean, I had the experience and I love the fact that I was able to be there for them, but it was just, I don't have anything. I didn't put anything aside, you know, for, cause you don't prepare for that. You, right. you have a different idea. And so that was really, really hard. And then I also just kind of like thought, okay, this isn't going to be healthy. You need to reach out. You need to find something, anything to just make, make the day go. And so I started looking up, like, how do people cope through divorce? I remember Googling like books about divorce, blogs about people who've gone through divorce and everything I found was people who were already on the other end of it. And it was like, oh, they either had a story that didn't really relate to me. Um, They were in a better financial situation as they went through it. It was more like dividing up houses and cars. We didn't have houses and cars. So I was not in that kind of a situation or the person already had their own job. So it was like, oh, it was difficult when it was more about like transitioning the kids. And so it's like, again, that doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. Like, I don't, I don't even have a job yet. So like, it's a very different situation. And I remember that too, feeling just like, how does anybody do this? Like, I barely have enough energy. And then to try to like find some kind of resource just to like make it better. And I was in a a book club, like with a lot of different people. And I remember writing on there and several people who'd been divorced kind of messaged me and said, you know, like, it's going to be really hard at the beginning. Just, you know, just trust me, just stick with it. The days get better. And it's what you tell people, but at the same time, like, oh, I didn't feel like it that at a time. It just felt like I, I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. I'm doing it, but I don't feel like I'm doing a good job of it. And that's another thing. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I could be doing better. I could be doing better. And at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, but I'm getting through the day. And I think that was also a switch for me to kind of get into, you know what, stop putting so much pressure to be the mom that you were before X, Y, Z, and just be the mom that you're being right now. Give yourself a little bit of grace. You in your head might not be showing up 100%. But you're also letting them see that this is what it is to transition. And it means that we did then have a lot of conversations at the dinner table that were very relaxed, where it was like, we're not going to do the dishes and we're not going to do anything else. We're just going to talk. 
like we're all going to sit at the table and you guys are going to tell me about your day and we're going to laugh and be lighthearted and we're going to talk about how mom got married really young because they always thought that was kind of funny and yeah just <laughs> yeah they were just like oh I, I I don't know mom no offense but I really need to know somebody before I get married and I thought like well thank goodness like that's definitely not a bad idea definitely do that so yeah. um so yeah I got to know them a lot better because I had a lot more time and I think it was just me slowly starting to find what was going to work for me because I didn't have friends to go out with or other things like distractions per se, which yeah. could I could have jumped into that and probably like, in a sense, prolonged my ability to really like work through it. Because what ended up happening is I had to go really internal. I had to go inside myself. There wasn't an outlet or a resource outside of me. So I had to find out what let's dig really deep inside of me and start finding out where's my strengths. Where are you going to pull that out from? Because yeah, you need, it's just like everything else you've been through. That's difficult. This is going to be really, really hard and you're not going to like it. And you're going to be mad and sad and you're not going to, you might not have the hope for the next day, but at the same time, like you just got to do it anyways, which again, sounds super cliche, but it's really how I felt at the time. Like, okay, but you're it, just, it's legit. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, really is. And so I, I remember modifying my social media, everything turned into Instagram feeds that were very positive. They were messages that were good. They were art that inspired me. They were photos of places that inspired me, things that were calming. Um, I wanted to see that all the time. That's what I wanted. I wanted to <clears throat> listen to music. I had like playlists and music that like really, really made me feel good and feel happy. Um, I started to write letters to like pen pals that I found online. Cause I was like, well, if I don't have friends here, then you know what, there's people who are also alone and also want to talk and maybe not about this situation, but we can just share random things to each other. And there's a little bit of ease to being vulnerable with people that you don't know, not necessarily about my whole personal story, but there's something very soothing to just say like, Hey, I woke up today. I had this cup of coffee and I really liked this flavor that I put in it. And it's just random things, but be able to share that conversation with somebody and then send it off. Um, So that helped a lot. Some of those people are like really, really dear friends now. And then I started to do a lot more artwork. I've always been really creative and like wanted to work with my hands because my degree is a science field. And so when I wasn't working, I always felt like I wasn't doing enough with my hands. So I would find things to do sewing or making jams or baking. And so at that time, I really started to do a lot of art journaling. I think I stumbled upon it on Instagram and thought this sounds like a really neat idea. Um, And it started out with just small things, little things, um, following like a here, do one of these things every day through the month of December. Okay, I can do Mm -hmm. that. And then that turned into me feeling a lot more free to create and express and put down my feelings kind of into a journal and working through that. And all of those little things slowly started to like really help me sitting with the dog, taking the dog for long walks, because again, it was just like, if I just get out into nature, I've always been one person that if I'm outside, there's something very soothing to me about that feeling about getting out of this house and out of these four walls and just being outside. So that was another thing that helped me a lot. Just get outside, just get, even if you're not motivated to do it, put the shoes on, walk outside. And once you're out there, you'll start walking, you'll start doing the things. And I, it's just little by little, I started to find a lot more peace and calmness. And then that transitioned into joy and just a lot of love and appreciation, even Mm -hmm. for the hard parts, even for the really, really hard parts, there was still 
I started to feel like, oh, oh, I can do this. I'm not going to like it. It's still really hard, but I can do this. Yeah. Very good. Yes. I love it. There is a lot of science that backs up that going into nature yeah. on whatever level doesn't have to be like woods per se, oh, yeah. but being in nature lowers stress, like legit lowers yes. stress, um, lowers blood pressure, blah, 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 all these great things. And yeah, the longer um, you sit outside, cause I've done that, like even here, I mean, I live in like a city, but if you sit outside and you give yourself like 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, at first you're going to hear like everything around you, all the noise, the people, the talking, the right. longer you sit outside that drowns away. Now you start to hear like the birds and then you start to hear like the trees and then like you start to hear much more of the underlying sounds. And it's very interesting. The longer you sit outside, the more you really start to feel really. And, and I, for a lot of people, I get that that's very woo woo, but for me, I like it's 100% true. And again, as a person who like studies science for a living, I still say like it get outside. It's absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. for you. Crucial. Absolutely yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And then we're going to fast forward a little more somewhere after this, you reached out to me and mm-hmm. we started working together mm-hmm. and I have to just, I want to pause for a quick second and just say, you've always been a very good mom, Yvette. I've known you for a long time. You've always been a very good mom, but I have loved watching the way you have been honest with your kids, the things that you've gone through, how you're feeling, I specifically recall a few pivotal moments during our work together that you would tell me something that you'd mentioned. You were casually mentioning it to me during our session, but I don't think you always realized how really profound and what a big deal it was with what you'd done because you would just straight up say to your kids, you know, I think one of them asked you a question, well, what are you going to do? Something, something you were like, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I'll just do this for the rest of my life. And whatever the this was, wasn't actually something you thought you would do literally the rest of your life, but you were so focused on, I'm doing this right now. That was really the message was, this is one day at a time. Sometimes it's an hour at a time. Sometimes it's just a minute at a time. I'm doing this. This is where I am. And I don't know how long I'll be in this place, but it's where I am today. And so I'm just going to take it like it is for what it is right now. And I'm telling you, your honesty with your kids is the best gift you could have ever given them to just be honest because you, you know, you know what? I don't know. Or you know what? I do know I'm doing this now. Like (laughs) you've, you've done some of both of those things with them during the time that we worked together. So I know I'm about your art because you've always done different things, but the art very specifically seemed to bring out, um, maybe it helped you process emotions, feelings, things like that. Yes. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. It wasn't only creative for you. No, no. So this is, this was very much like you can look back. I can definitely look back, um, and look at different things on different days and know how I was feeling that day. I can know based on the colors that I used on the text that I used, even the way maybe my handwriting was that day or, um, the images I might've used in a certain collage or different things like that. It was Mm -hmm. basically like all the things that were inside me, inside my head, all those emotions, 
that kind of just felt like stuck when I started to put things down onto the paper, onto the art page, like that could kind of flow and come out and I could express myself and I could feel a lot more calm kind of scene like because sometimes I didn't even know how I was feeling until I started grab paint and then I would get a color and be like I don't feel like using that that's yeah. not what I want to use yeah. and then you kind of go like yeah this seems right and that's it and then afterwards you look at it and you're like yeah this is how I felt today like that mm-hmm. and then it just feels better because now it's out and you it's I guess it's in the same sense that like people journal and they write it and now it's on paper yeah. and you feel a little bit more light and free. Um, and mm-hmm. I would definitely do that because a lot of like what I was doing, there's like a scenic writing where you write what you're feeling, but you write it in this way that almost like if somebody were to come back later, they can't read what you wrote, but you're still getting it out onto that art journal page. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's, yeah, it was a really, it definitely was a very healing thing. And I found that a lot of people actually in just like posting my things and stuff, um, I found a lot of people actually do that. They do like art therapy and art healing for, for various things, but that it is a very healing process to just be free and express all the things that like, maybe you don't have any, anybody to say it to. And so you can put it there, like in your art and on paper. Yeah. It's, and you don't, sometimes it's just the actual act of like for the people who paint with their fingers, Mm -hmm. not a brush or who play with clay or pottery. It's the actual feeling of those textures in their hands that brings a very soothing element to the process, a a healing element. It does soothe you. And it, and it centers you because again, like while I'm working on that, I'm not thinking about all the other things that I still need to do later. It's I'm going to think about this and just be right here present in this moment. And so it, um, it forces you to be present. And I, now that I think about it, I guess all those things I was doing were things that were forcing me to be present, go out and walk in nature with the dog, mm-hmm. sit down and do artwork. Like these things that I was doing were giving me small moments to be really present. Yes. Because otherwise it's very easy to get in your head and get stuck in there. And then oh, yeah. And in, in, in that, uh, yeah. in that time I would have just gone in circles about it, like, because I didn't have the answers and I was, I'm a logical person. So I would have been like, I need to figure this out and have answers. And there, there really weren't answers at that time. Yeah. There were like, I can try to do this but I didn't know like, oh, exactly in one year, I'm going to have this and do that. I couldn't plan that far ahead. I could just be like, this is what I'd like to do and kind of have an outline, but it, yeah. I'm curious, um, will you, what made you just, because we've known each other for a long time, what made you just say, you know what, I'm going to reach out and ask for some help? I, I think, so when I first um, found out about the divorce and I was overseas, I contacted like a, a counselor just for me. And I remember seeing her, I saw her for like, there was a short amount of time before I was moving back to the States. Um, And I met with her and I remember her saying like, you know, you should really be glad, you know, you should be proud of yourself for knowing that this is something you wanted to try to do and reaching out because again, you knew that you were going through a transition with the kids and you wanted some help and you immediately did it and you took the steps that you needed to. And for me, it was, again, it was just a logical, like, I know I need help. So I'm going to reach out to this person as I transition into single life, mom with the, you know, mom has kids at home. We're going to be moving all of these things. And I needed some, somebody to kind of like fire things off of as an adult that wasn't involved, you know, obviously like the people in my family would have like a personal take on it. And I didn't want that for them. So I remember doing that and that helping a lot. And her always saying like how resilient I was just from a lot of the things I'd already been through. And she would kind of ask me questions about where it came from. And so when I got to the States, 
I remember thinking like, okay, that, that was a really good period. It was really good for me to have that. It helped me a lot. It helped me kind of like make time every week to kind of refocus and let's, let's go back and reassess. Cause we can, we can have a plan on Tuesday and then by like Thursday kind of get a little sidetracked. And then by Sunday you get real sidetracked. And so having that, I knew that if I had that with someone to kind of like help out that that would be really, really good. And obviously like, I've always really like really, really appreciated our conversations, your ability to really be very straightforward and honest and give really good inside and honest opinions and feedback and a different perspective and way of looking at things sometimes that I don't always have, which is like much needed because I value that a lot, you know, a lot. So it, it was just in the immediate for me that like, yeah, I would definitely like benefit from something like that for sure. As I transitioned into everything. And as far as like the kids, like, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Like, I don't, I definitely don't try to take credit for that all the time. Um, but it is interesting when people say things like that to me. And mostly I think it comes down to when the kids, when the kids say that to me, like how, how safe they feel talking to me, how, great they feel in our home being able to be themselves or how they say like you know especially at the age they're at they'll say like oh I have friends who can't talk to their parents about this or who feel like you know they go home and they don't feel comfortable in this way and they always think like oh I don't know what that would be like because I've always felt like that with you and that is I mean that's a payback times a million because I think that's what I always wanted to do is just say I don't know all the answers but I want you to know that that's, that's the way life is. Like, I don't know all the answers. So that means you don't always have to know all the answers either. That's okay. If you don't, yep. because otherwise I look like I know everything and they're going to put a lot of pressure on themselves to think that they have to know everything. It's like, no, I, I'm my age and I'm still winging it sometimes. And so it's a matter of, you get to see me figure it out slowly. I get to see you figure it out slowly. We all just kind of go through and, and hope for the best and like love on each other and, and, yeah, we end up in the situation where it is a really good thing because I really do feel like they can, they can talk to me about anything. I hope they do. Like they tell me they do all the time for sure. So as you know, Moose and I went to a marriage counselor for a year, but there was also um, another time where I just went to a therapist on my own. Something happened, um, had nothing to do with him. And I just went on my own to talk to someone about it. And you're right. Meeting with someone every single week does allow you to just get recentered, and there is something to be said for someone who asks you questions and causes you to think about things, maybe things you hadn't thought of before or in a way you haven't thought of them before. And because we do get in our heads and we get stuck in the weeds, sometimes we don't know how to take ourselves forward and out we do just literally go around in circles because we keep coming back to the same things. And it is very helpful and you don't realize it until later. I can't say that I thought at the time when we went to Dr. Scott, I didn't walk away ever saying, man, this was such a good session. But the further away we got from Dr. Scott, like the longer that it had been since we worked with him, the more clear things became. And I felt the same way when I went to a therapist on my own except it was a little bit different. I was much older then, and I had a much better idea of what I was looking to gain, but I knew that I needed someone to help, you know, I needed a guide to help me get through there. Right. And the whole thing with coaching is that you, you, Yvette would have gotten to where you are on your own, but without a coach, maybe it would have taken longer. See, I told you there was a lot to unpack. I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as we are. Join us next time for part two.
Okay, Changemaker, that's it for me this time. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in working with me, you can book a Blue Skies Discovery call. It's totally free. The link is in the show notes. Thanks for being here. Talk to you next Monday.